Right Hearted with me, Stuart Wakefield. I'm delighted to have with me today Andrew Drysdale, uh, who's a novelist and has switched to genres. Um, and that's one of the particular reasons I really wanted to get Andrew on the show. Uh, so, Andrew, welcome. Hello. Thank you for inviting me, Stuart. You're very, very welcome. And thank you for accepting the invitation. Not now, listen, pleasure. I need to make a public apology to you because sure. you were meant to be one of my very first um, interviewees and through one thing or another, you know, I'll let you down for weeks and weeks ah. and weeks. Uh, so thank you for finally coming on. And I'm sorry it was completely on me that that all of that fell apart. So um, ah, I threw fine. myself upon the mercy of the court. <laughs> no problem. No problem, mate. <laughs> fine. Okay, so how did you, how did you come to, to be a writer? Uh, well, it all started a long time ago when I was uh, back in the mid-90s when I was working at Dagenham Engine Plant, of all places, and I just had this idea of a story, a, a short horror story, mm -hmm. and I decided to write it. So I, I, I literally just had this idea, and I started to write it in my lunch breaks in the unlikely okay. setting of Dagenham Engine Plant with the plant That's machinery the going on. That's company, for those yep. who... Don't for those know. who yeah. don't know yet, Ford Motor Company, uh, with all the machinery going on in the background, I was in my office in my lunch break, writing away and uh, testing it out on people. And that is literally how I started writing. I just got this idea one day about a, a, a demon inhabiting other people's dreams. Right. And then someone said, you can't just publish that on your own. You have to write another story. And do you know how people talk about cabbages and kings, this, that, and everything else at work? And you you can cover any subject. Yeah. I think the film Armageddon with Bruce Willis had just come out. So okay. the subject of Armageddon cropped up in a conversation somewhere. And when I was right. driving home from work, I thought about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I thought, I wonder what the horses think about it. So I wrote the second story, <laughs> The Four Horses of the, of the Apocalypse. Brilliant. And that's how that came about. But I didn't publish until two years ago. Uh, because okay. one thing led to another, life, the universe and everything got in the yeah. way, as it does. Yeah. And so I wrote a third story called The Proxy mm -hmm. to pad it out, and I published, and voila, I sold books. And I'm Amazing. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any sort of hesitations in kind of owning I'm a writer? I did at first because I thought it was a bit, bit of a bloody cheek to uh, – um, write something, self-publish it, and then sit back and say, "Ha, huh, I'm a writer." That's like right. qualifying yourself to be a doctor or something like that, you know. Right. I stitch my arm up. I'm a doctor. You know? um, <laughs> but I put the book out there. I have sold books, so no, no, I am now a writer. I might not you be as big a writer as someone as yourself, for instance, who sold lots yeah. of books. But uh, I am a writer, big or small. I am a writer. So. You are indeed, yeah. and that book is called "Perchance to Scream." It is indeed, yes. Okay, and that's very firmly in the horror genre. Yes, even okay. the, the slightly comedic one with the four horses is still set in the night before the before the end of the world. So yes, it's a sort of Terry Pratchett style horror, if you like. <laughs> right, and you have you have a, a nice little anecdote about your first ever rejection slip for a short story. Tell us, tell us that. I was. Dead proud. I used to show people my rejection. Back in the days when you actually got rejection slips from yes. publishers and agents, I used to run around showing people at work that I got rejection slip, and people said, 
why does that make you happy? And I said, because you can't get a rejection slip unless you actually tried in the first place. Yeah. And there are lots of people out there who say, oh, I could be a writer or I could do this or I could do that, but they don't do it. And for me, even a mundane thing as getting my first rejection slip was kind of affirmation that I had actually tried to do it. Yes, yeah. What would you think gave you that courage to to actually wade in and 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 write? Well, I've written since I was at school. I was always good at you know they would say write a two page story you know yeah. about this, and I was always quite good at that. I always got good marks at that. I've always liked stories, and I've got uh, quite a fertile imagination. But. Uh, I just felt that I wanted to get something out there. So I tried writing some things. And uh, that wasn't the first, the Perchance Scream wasn't the first thing I wrote. I, I wrote several other stories, but my okay. my personal criteria, right or wrong, is read it back to myself and think, would I actually pay money to read that? Yeah. And if the answer was no, then I would say, well, I'll stop that or change it or just do something else. And I did a few mm. of those. Okay. And then when I wrote Perchance to Scream, I thought, well, that, that, actually I would. If that was in a short story book from somebody else, I would actually, I would actually pay money for that. And that was right. a personal affirmation that it was, I felt it was worth going out there. Yeah. And what did it feel like when you sent your first short story off to a, uh, to a publisher? Nerve-wracking. Like no. sending my sending my my just born baby out into the world untrained, you know, um, <laughs> and they sent it back and they rejected it. And uh, as I said, at least I tried. But yeah, yeah. sending it out for the first time in the format they wanted it, posting that big brown envelope into the letterbox as you mm. did in those days was yes. uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was uh, it was horrible and grace at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when when. So, I mean, you, you and I, we go back quite a long way. I think we met we in the early 2000s. Yeah, it would have been that in uh, full credit, yeah. Right, okay. So at the time, I, mean, I wasn't a writer. I had absolutely no aspirations to be a writer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it wasn't really till 2009 when I did National Novel Writing Month that I mm. kind of kind of took on took on that identity. Yeah. Um, but we never – it never came up in conversation, and I, I – I do wonder about how you um, sort of start to adopt that that um, identity of of being a writer. And I think it's fair to say in our office it was kind of grey, right? <laughs> and yeah. you know, everybody got on and sort of did their thing, and you didn't. I think it was very rare that that anybody scratched under the surface and found out what it was that other other people did did you once you kind of took on that identity of being a writer did you suddenly find other people were for want of a better term like coming out to you as as writers no because uh the only people i ever came out to as a writer if you like right. was back in back in the engine plant when i was okay. uh writing in my lunch break and uh uh, Stephen King had a phrase in one of his books um, called Falling Through the Hole in the Paper. And I used to do that in my lunch break. I used to sort of dive into the story and I was gone and I was beavering away. And then my team leader would throw a balled up piece of paper at my head to wake me up or something. And uh, it, it would carry on like that. Um, uh, I decided uh, three years ago that I 
you know, you see, like an, an artist can't just sit there and paint something. You have to be in that that space, in that place yes. where you can do something. Yeah. And I decided three years ago was the time to restart it, kick it okay. off again. So I wrote the third story and published Per Chance to Scream two years ago. Um, but then everybody I knew around me, everyone around me then knew that I was a writer and I published and I was at, they bought my books. I sold books outside of my friend group, which is good. Yes. Yes. You can be friends buy your books, but it doesn't Absolutely. necessarily make you a writer. It just means you've got nice friends, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, because I am sort of retired, if you like, mm. Mm. Um, and I wanted something to do, Living in Germany now, as I do, one of the things that I have noticed here is that the Germans absolutely love British crime stories. Okay. Yeah. Midsummer Murders is called Inspector Barnaby over here, which is why I believe when John Nettles left, they had to get another Inspector Barnaby for the foreign market, not just for the UK (laughs) market, because everybody else else knows that program is Inspector Barnaby. But it's really popular over here. We have Vera, we have all sorts of British crime stuff okay. transliterated into German and everything. Yeah. So a friend of mine said, why don't you write a British crime novel and publish it in Germany? Okay. So I thought, that's quite a nice idea. Why not? Um, so first of all, what I should have done first is I should have invented a detective and then, given him or her a crime to detect. What I actually did was I, as I discovered the, the murderer first. Okay. I discovered the criminal first and thought, well, what if this particular type of person was the actual bad person in the book, the criminal, right. the murderer, the whatever? I thought, well, yeah, 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 that will work. Now, how am I going to catch them? And that's how Jimmy Green was invented. Okay. Yeah. And, and what I mean, I always think that a lot of the most interesting stories do start with those two words: "What if?" Mm, absolutely. I think that, as you said about having a very fertile imagination, and you know we've seen that in the. I don't know if you have Disney Plus, but there's a series on at the moment called "What If." Oh, I had is about. <laughs> okay, so what they do is they take a, you know established characters. So mm-hmm. if you if you are familiar with Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a character, Steve Rogers, and he's injected with something called the Super Soldier Serum. <laughs> and in What If, one of the episodes is, what if the British agent, Peggy Carter, what would have happened if she got the um, the serum, the Super Soldier Serum okay, injection yeah. instead of Steve Rogers? Mm-hmm. And again, you get this very suddenly, this very creative kind of fertile um, way of doing it. Mm. If you're starting with the end, based on your what if, how Mm. then do you go back and structure a book based on the ending? Um, Well, if you establish a certain criteria of person as the, as the bad guy or bad boy, um, Mm -hmm. whatever, um, then you have to go into motive. Okay. This person did this thing. Why did that person do that thing? How did that person do that thing? When did that person do that thing? Mm Mm-hmm. And if in the end the person is caught or is stopped from doing that thing, who caught them, who stopped them? So you kind of structure, you're quite right, you do structure. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but you do structure your book in that way backwards. Yeah. And so you go from the villain to the, and you end end up with the investigator. 
Right. You can't just invent and invent unless the book is unless the entire story is about just the villain. Mm-hmm. Then you have to structure the book around the people that are capturing them. Yeah, yeah. And that I mean, is how Jimmy Green was born. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you know, we we often see, um, you know, particularly in 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 drama, <clears throat> you know, the detective always has some issues and. Mm-hmm. You know they're normally divorced and they're a drunk. <laughs> you know <laughs> they're always kind of kind of falling apart. Mm. Did you did you feel kind of not pressure, but did you feel? I, I guess what what did I feel as I needed to make him stand out in some way, other yeah, than just yeah, being a detective? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I I did a bit, but not too much because. Right. Anyone who's reached the top of their field in 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 most genres is going mm. to be a standout character for one reason or another. I mean, we've seen right. some we've seen some people in the places that we've worked. Mm. Uh, now they're not normally uh, divorced, hideously ugly, wonderfully handsome, gorgeously beautiful, six and a half feet tall, or whatever. But uh, right. you can usually pick out a defining feature and the only real defining feature of uh, my main character in this one is a bit loud okay yeah and he dresses well that's a bit uh, that's about it yeah okay yeah. okay so and I, yet, that, I, mean, I this is pressure, a... but not too much yeah okay good i yeah. meant so i mean were you reading in the kind of cozy thriller genre no okay so how much homework did you have to do well I've been around a lot of the television series for for right. a long time. I've, I've watched a lot of television, and I have read some uh, some so, some books. Not all the books, because you, you're quite right about the cozy thriller genre. Because also yeah. in Germany, they don't have things like the, the grittier inner city dramas from the UK. Mm. They have them from Germany, mm. and they have them from mm. Sweden, but not from the UK. In Germany, um. They like the typically British or English countryside type of uh, police genre. They love Vera. Okay. Right. They love Midsummer Murders, but they don't have Frost, which is all in a city. Oh. Yeah. Do you, do you know why, like from your friends in Germany, what it is that they, they find so appealing? Well, you know, we all have views of, uh, I'm not being detrimental here, we all have views of what, uh, people from other countries are like what they do, etc. Indeed, um, a very British view of Germany is the Oktoberfest, for instance. And you right. think of the Oktoberfest, you think of uh, uh, large Germans slapping each other's sides in what's called Schuhplättler dancing. They okay. still do that, and busty right. wenches with dirndls serving up large amounts of beer in huge mugs. It's an image that we have, and it's, it's an accurate image, but it's a very small image. Right. The image that they have of the British in Germany is that a lot of us live in the country, and a lot of us wear tweed, and we're very polite in our police work, and that is the image they like to see. Right. In America, they have CSI over here, for yeah. instance. Yeah. So they have the fast, flashy things from America, but less of the uh, slower-paced American because they don't want slower pace from America. They want large, flashy CSI Miami, CSI Los Angeles. From the UK, they want the more comfortable, cozy fireside. I say, old chap, do you mind if I murder you? Yes, quite. Go ahead. Bang. (laughs) I exaggerate, but uh, uh, 
the expectations are more countryside than they are gritty, dark inner city. Right. Maybe I should think about moving to Suffolk and buying a tweed jacket. <laughs> Maybe my sales in Germany might, <laughs> might go up. <laughs> it's definitely worth thinking about. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Do it, do it. Expect tweed all over my Instagram soon. So, yeah. so I mean, so how do you – I mean, obviously, fiction, fi- fiction and television are two quite different forms. And I think mm. if you were writing a screenplay, you'd be taking a very different approach yes. than, than writing fiction. So if you're not kind of reading in the genre but you're familiar with it, mm. what kind of – obstacles did you did you come up against when you were writing jimmy green the biggest obstacles for me were knowledge of the law okay yeah and knowledge of some extremely dodgy things and i hope to god that the german police never look at my uh (laughs) internet history because i had to look at all kinds of horrible things to write a crime novel (laughs) um one thing I did learn about, I, I saw a program about police programs okay. uh, a couple of years ago, and they all, they all said none of, practically none of them are accurate. Okay. And uh, I looked into that and I thought, yeah, if it was wholly legally accurate and followed police mm. procedure exactly, I think yeah. the pro- any book, television program will be extremely boring. Yeah, what it I has agree. to be is it has to be accurate enough. So I've had yes. to look up some laws, how they're enforced, what the penalties are. And I've also had to look up some horrible crimes and how they're defined in law and, right. and the difference between this sort of horrible person and that sort of horrible person. I, I shan't yeah. go into details. And this is a nice blog. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Listen, I, I used to work in the uh, Crown Prosecution Service. I was in temping. I was there for yeah. about three weeks. But I was working in the mail room yeah. and um, we would get evidence sent through to us yeah. um, that we would open and we'd have to work out which team it went to. Yeah. And um, I remember flicking through some of the uh, some of the evidence because, you know, I'm nosy. Mm. And honestly, the pictures were horrific yeah. and pictures of autopsies and it's, I mean, mm. it's toe-curling stuff. Yeah. And for me, I'm not sure I could stomach that kind of, that kind of research. Um, was there anything – obviously, I don't want to give anything away because yeah. – I kind of know who did it, uh, <laughs> but but um, you know, was there any part of your research that actually made you uncomfortable? Yeah, one part which I won't go into too much, but right. uh, sure. um, yeah, one part made me a bit uncomfortable. I actually didn't want to know, <laughs> right? Um, okay, but to to and I. One thing I've tried to avoid in the book is, uh, is there are clinical details in it, but I okay. haven't gone into the gory details. I, I don't right. think you, you, blood and guts can be implied without having it sprayed everywhere, in my yes. opinion. Yes, and I so, agree. And uh, I've also, I mean, I've labelled Jimmy Green as a character who can let fall with some astonishingly bad language, but that doesn't okay. mean that I've spread bad language all the way through the book. I don't think you need right. to. It can be yeah. implied. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the fact and I think people, it does turn some. Yeah. I think it does turn some readers off. So the readers yeah. in Germany are they reading? Are they reading English? I mean, and actually, do you know what? No, 
let me back up. So when I worked in broadcast media, mm-hmm. it was quite interesting. So some um, countries would dub, mm-hmm. so you, and other countries would um, go with subtitles because they wanted to hear the original language. Yeah. How are the programs, our programs that are shown in Germany, how, how are they shown? Are they dubbed they are or are they subtitled? Dubbed. Everything is dubbed. Okay. Absolutely everything is dubbed and they're not too hot in here in, in the untertitled, subtitles, sorry. Um, okay. Uh, which is a shame because uh, the German language is difficult. It's difficult for me being older to learn, but I could right. survive if a lot more programs had even German subtitles, but a lot of them don't. But right. all foreign programs in Germany are dubbed. Whereas in the UK, okay. almost all foreign programs are subtitled. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you watch a film or a program from another country in the UK, it's almost always in the original language with, with, with English subtitles, which okay. is the way I actually like it. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, me. yeah, I prefer subtitles Yeah. too because I find it off-putting when the voice doesn't match the, the, uh, the yeah. lip movement. They are actually very good in Germany. They will change the scripts so they can match up phoneme shapes with the mouth and everything. Really? They're they're mostly very, sometimes it's not so good, but for a lot of things, for instance, I've said it before, Midsummer Murders, Inspector Barnaby, they do it really, really well. It's very difficult to see that that's not someone speaking German. Wow. Okay. I'm impressed the Germans Mm. are very good at technical (laughs) stuff, aren't they? They are. And that's and I, I'm not being a generalist. I'm I'm having worked with Germans mm. for what yes. nearly twenty years. Yeah, you know, I feel I can I can get away with saying that. So, actually, you've touched upon something I wanted to to, to bring up. So, you know, German grammar is very complex. Mm. You know, things that are capitalized and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a language that I've always shied away from. Mm. So. The version of of Jimmy Green that I've bought is in English. Yeah, what's what's the plan? Because if it's if it's for German consumption, how are you how are you approaching that? Uh, for at the moment, it's released everywhere in English. Uh, translating yeah. a book, I mean, you've seen the size of that book, haven't you? Yeah, it's yeah. seven hundred ninety four pages. <laughs> yes. to actually have that book translated would cost quite a bit of money it's not thousands right. but it would cost some money so what, yeah. what what i really need to do is sell some books and finance some translation services later on maybe right okay and then i can re-release the book in german okay so yeah. what what's the the or you could farm a chapter out to each of your german friends <laughs> that is that is very very difficult technical stuff is uh a lot easier to translate than uh, pages from a novel. I asked a friend, uh, uh, a friend of mine who's been a very great help to me, has got mm-hmm. a guest has got a guest appearance in my book. It's not right. actually him; it's his name and some of his mannerisms. But okay. I asked a friend of mine to translate uh, about fifty lines, so I just so I could show him what I put in the book, and right. she said she found it really, really difficult to translate prose. A business oh. letter is different. That's easy. I mean, I can do that as well. I can translate yeah. business letters into German, yeah. but uh, but actually, in prose, is it's a whole other ball game. Mm. And I remember listening to a radio program all yeah. years ago, six seven years ago, and and it was about translating books. And there was a 
a woman there who'd written a book. I can't remember who it was. Kind of mm. not important. But she spoke French. But okay. she, as an experiment, asked four other people to translate her book into French. And right. they all translated it slightly differently. And they translated it differently to the way she would have translated it into French as well. Oh, okay. Mm. So how how would you know you were getting a good translation? I would ask a friend of mine whose English is good to read both versions. Okay. Yeah, so That's they would read the English version. They're already reading the English version. If I got a German translation, I would ask that that friends to read the German version to see if it actually matched the English version. Right. Because I guess if you use a particular turn of phrase that the Germans don't have... Yes, that they will, they will translate it, yeah. Yeah, because what's yeah. that word that they have that we can't... There is no meaning for doch. us. Is it schadenfreude? Doch. I'm, I'm... The word doch, D-O-C-H, doesn't have a direct translation. Okay. It means sort of certainly all right, okay, but uh, ja doch, yeah, doesn't have a direct um, translation. Okay. There are, so, other, there are other phrases that we use when, like... Uh, uh, a phrase for something being very boring is is uh, in German. Here is Torte Hose. Yeah. Now, right. if you translate that into English, it says it is direct translation is here is dead trousers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So you need someone who kind of understands the, the vernacular to be able yeah. to, to be able to do that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Seven hundred ninety-six pages, my friend. How? Yeah. <laughs> How long does that does that process take? Because I wrote a book that was three hundred and something. Mm. That was like four years. I mean, but then again, like you, it was lunchtimes here, you know, commuting to work, that kind of stuff. And I didn't really get into it until yeah, I left and became you know a full time author and book coach. So That's... I think I left work end of March and that book came out at the end of July. So yeah. how long does a book that long take? Well, that took me two years. Um, right. uh, but yeah, uh, if you remember, I asked you about a year ago, I'm getting about a thousand words a day. Do you think it's enough? Yeah. Uh, Stuart's Mr. Experience writer person. <laughs> <laughs> and you sent me this great long list back of people who their different workouts and some was 500 words a day in 2000. So you said I was yeah. doing okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, I had actually finished the book in March of this year. Okay. Uh, got a friend's, I, I reread it, corrected all the spelling mistakes and made a couple of changes for better impact. And a friend of mine also reread it and, read over it and went through it. And then we were hit with the floods in July. And right. uh, we are not badly hit, but uh, we, we did get some flooding and everything. So that sort of like put the mockers on it a little bit, but uh, yeah. it's not it's yeah. not too bad. But uh, I decided to wait a while and do a proper job than just rather get it out there and keep resubmitting yeah. it to Amazon because yeah. I found more mistakes. Yeah. I thought just leave it for a month or two and then yeah. do it properly when things have calmed down. Yeah, uh, yeah. My next book, <laughs> the next in the series, I decided to have a little break from writing. I'm okay. now 6,000 words into that little break. I just I kind of <laughs> couldn't help myself. <laughs> I think that's a good sign, though, because yeah. I was talking to another author about, um, you know, I, I, I took a week off 
after mm. finishing a book. <clears throat> By day three, I was going like out of my mind because I yeah. wanted to get back and write something else that I had an idea for. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, how long, I mean, obviously I'm, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that you were, you were hit by those floods. Mm. I know they can be devastating and, you know, I've had a leak in my house and it took from May to October to yeah. kind of get things, you know, settled and you've been flooded. I mean, you know, it's, it's 10 yeah. times, if not more harder. It's okay. It just we, really, we, really we, we had some water come through and had to take a floor up and there's some damp in the walls. Right. And I'm pulling moisture out of a room all this time later every day with a dehumidifier. Yeah. Um, right. Further down where I live was was there was some devastation and you know that sort right. of thing but uh i'm okay <laughs> okay all right yeah. good good but obviously jimmy green would have would have not floated have settled you know <laughs> with you you would have had that that kind of break from it what was it like coming back to a manuscript that you'd kind of let settle uh it was good because i was able to uh take a deep breath and say right let's start again and i just read it from start to finish and yeah. and thought to myself, that would have better impact if I moved that from here to there and that sort of thing yeah. because it's that yeah. old thing. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know how it's going to happen, but does, I ha I am have to make sure I explain it properly so that you know what's going to happen next. And yeah. how it, um, so I went through that. Uh, one thing that pleased me greatly is that bits that I wrote that were slightly jocular still made me laugh. Good. And bits that I wrote, I, I, I actually had trouble writing a bit because it upset me because it was sad and the person mm. was devastated in it and I felt for that, that character. And when okay. I reread the book again, I felt sad for that person again. I was sort of wiping away a tear as I'm reading it, that sort of thing. And <laughs> that might sound odd to some people from, you know, well, you wrote it, but if I find something funny, it should make me laugh. If yes. I want to make you laugh, it should make me laugh yeah. as well. So yeah. Yeah. you can laugh twice at the same jokes. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, I'm pleased at that. Yeah, yeah, I am. <clears throat> I am. This sounds really bad. I am guilty of coming out of the study and saying to my other half, "Do you know that's a really good book?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "What? I like, how can you say that?" It's like because I'm enjoying reading mm. it back. Well, you um, should do. Uh, you should say that your book is good. If you don't think your book's any good, why on earth would you publish it and expect other people to buy it? You yeah, must think I your think, own book is good. <laughs> you know, that that is interesting because because I, I kind of see it from two different sides. So mm. I think it's very, very encouraging that you're able to work. I mean, four years down the line, I mean, I should have been completely and utterly sick of those those people. And, you know, there were a couple of times mm. I was like, why am I doing this? And I was kind of getting bored with it. And it wasn't mm. bored with the book. It was bored of the, <clears throat> I don't want to call it the monotony, but I guess the routine. Yeah. And what I found was I was going over the first few chapters over and over mm. and over again. And I, what I needed to do was sit back and just read through the whole thing. Yeah. And I think for me as a book coach, that's what I get to do. I get to sit down with somebody's work and read it all the way through. Mm. Because I read it all the way through, you know, in a week or two, it's all mm. kind of fresh. Whereas normally I take ages to read a novel. Um, but I think a lot of writers do get bogged down and it's so familiar 
to mm. them that it almost ceases to have any kind of emotional effect. Yeah. So I think what you're saying it's a good it's a good sign if it's still hitting you. Mm. Um, and I guess I guess it'd be interesting to see how many characters you take through the series. Yeah, whether it's just Jimmy Green or you start to bring people back because I am dead set on bringing many of my characters back but just in slightly different roles even though it's someone else's story yeah well the the thing with uh uh you read it in other genres or see it on television programs when you have a a, a, a squad of police officers it tends to yes. say the same sometimes you'll lose one and get a new one yeah. or sometimes a team expands or maybe occasionally contracts so my plan is to mostly stick with the same people, maybe yeah. swap a character out, maybe bring a profiler back in after a couple of books. Nice. The one that was in the first book comes into the third book or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I plan, I plan to have uh, sort of comfortable stability without making it boring. Okay, good. Because I, I think that's what, yeah, I think that's what people like because it's those mm. differences book to book that, that, kind of hooks the interest mm. but the okay. stability that keeps you going with the flow because i've noticed i, I noticed this especially with uh, some pop groups or even some folk groups from from mm. the from the past as they start to become successful so they change what they're doing and i was like hang on a moment if it worked before why change it right so if people yeah. are, like your books, before I think it's not the same story every time, because that would be boring, sure. but uh, yeah. if you've got a set of characters that people like, don't change it. For me, I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I guess that works in a couple of different ways. So mm. you've got you've got artists, I guess, let, let's look at it from a music point of view. Mm. So you've got artists that kind of, you know what you're going to get yeah. when you when you put one of their albums on. Yeah. <clears throat> but then you've got somebody like Madonna who kind of reinvents herself mm. over and over again. And Not I guess successfully. Degree, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess to a degree you've reinvented yourself from a horror writer to mm. a to a uh, thriller writer. Mm. How do you what your plan going forward is to stick with that the thriller genre? It is, yeah, but I could also write some some other things. Uh, uh, I gather it's rather unusual to change genres. Um, it, it well, no, I mean, not necessarily. I think I think mm. authors can sort of find their centre of gravity mm. after after a while, and some authors are very um, particular about if they're writing in one genre, they'll use one name if they're writing another they'll they'll um use another a nom de plume yeah yes yes yeah. so and i think that's a branding thing so mm, you know, yeah. if you buy this name you're going to get horror if you buy this name you're going to get yeah. cozy british yeah that's murder. probably a good idea if i do that again <laughs> well you know yeah. but but um yeah, yeah, I think there's that element of you know, there's things that I've published, short stories which mm. aren't romance and they don't, you know, have queer characters and stuff. Mm. And I do sit back and think, should I have, should I have published that under my own name, or should I, you know, have, yeah. have gone some different directions? And I'm almost like, should I republish it under a different name? And mm. I always kind of struggle with it. Um, 
but I guess if you think you're going to stick in this genre, then um, perchance to scream can be a statistical outlier, as we used to <laughs> <laughs> as we used to learn at work. Yeah. <laughs> nice statistical so outlier. So yeah. So what then is so how do you go from I mean, I see authors work in different ways. Okay, mm. so they'll start with a character that they think is fascinating. They'll dig into that character and they'll um, do that character work and then see what stories su- suggest themselves out of that character. If you're writing, um, do you call them murder mysteries or thrillers? I would call it a crime thriller, yeah. Crime thriller, okay. Yeah. So if you're writing a crime thriller, how do you decide on what you're kind of, I call them obligatory scenes. What kind of scenes do you think you have to have? Well, you have to have a scene of crime, uh, a scene where there is a police squadron where they can carry out their deliberations and have an incident board yeah. and a sort of a centre of operations, which usually implies a police station. Um, and you must have witnesses and suspects. Mm. Yeah. A lot of other things can be character involved, character development, Mm-hmm. Um, most of those things are the same as every other every other novel. You uh, uh, in most genres, you have to establish the character, what their motivations are, what yeah. drives them, um, to a certain extent, what their home life is like, that sort of thing. Are they married? Got kids? Avoid to getting married because they're people. That's the way they are. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, yeah, the scene of crime is an important one to get right. The police squadron is an important one to get right. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else is uh, character and situation building. Yeah. Witnesses you have to have. And suspects. You can't just have one suspect. Otherwise, everyone will know who did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the suspects you have must be plausible. And I had to, I had to really think about this as well. The suspects you have have got to be plausible suspects. You can't just pluck mm. someone off the street and say, hmm, he looks a bit dodgy, maybe it was yeah. him. You've got to have a good reason, which means you've got to establish uh, chains of evidence linking them to that person, but it's not them because it also can't be the first person you come across. Right. Otherwise, that's a, 794 pages of uh, of whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, I, I take my hat off to you because – I don't think I could ever write a crime thriller because I don't think I have the chutzpah to um, spend the time doing all of that, that planning and the red herrings and the foreshadowing and working all of that stuff. It seems incredibly complicated. So, you know, you've, you've done your research, you understand mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. To sit down and mechanically make something very difficult for jimmy to solve Mm. what what was your approach to that well the first thing was uh uh, who was the bad guy in all this and once i as i said i started off with the bad guy is this sort of person Mm -hmm. so once you got that the bad guy is this sort of person what did they do and how did they do it Right. And how are they getting away with it? Because obviously they don't get caught the first time because also that's a very thin book. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so you have to have something that's very difficult to detect, but not mm-hmm. stupid because you right. can invent anything and, yeah. uh, that's, that's, 
that's just bloody ridiculous. It's got to be plausible and it's got to be genuine, but it's got to be something that can be well hidden unless you know exactly what you're looking for. Mm. And of course, it's one of the most things you don't know what you're looking for till you find it. Right. And that's how you establish the, uh, the, the, the uh, train of the story. One of the most difficult parts I found to write will take you about half hour, 40 minutes to read. It took me three okay. weeks to write it because it was wow. so bloody difficult to get every tiny little thing in exactly the right place to, and, yeah. and make it interesting. Because yes. if it was just a, tra- a, a chain of facts, you just put that up there, da 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 at the end. But you've got to make it interesting for you to read. So, yes. uh, and it's that kind of dissemination of information and, and mm. constructing it. As you say, when you came back to editing, it was like, well, actually, this piece of information or this scene would be better in this place. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I think there's always that kind of implicit challenge. Um, to the to the reader mm. that can you work it out before my character yes and you must be able to arrive at the same conclusion that i did but hopefully not too long before i told you yes yes that, that that's that's the art of that and uh i believe if i've written this properly and other people have told me that i have already i've already got a request for the next book Good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, got to wait a little while, but um, <laughs> seven hundred ninety-six days. If you're doing a thousand words a day, <laughs> I, I think I, I think now I've actually established the characters. The second book can be a teeny bit thinner. <laughs> okay. Seven hundred pages. I don't know. Um, <laughs> God, I've read Stephen King novels that were thinner. But <laughs> true. <laughs> um, yes, you. You've what I lead you up to towards the end of the novel, you must be able to say, Oh, yes, of course, or well, 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 well. You mustn't, you mustn't be able to say, No, 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 yes. no, you can't put that, that's ridiculous. And there was yeah. a, a well known and popular television program, I shan't name it in case we get sued or something, but uh, right up to the right up to the end of the program of the first series. You didn't know who did it. You didn't know who did it. And the evidence was mounting up and there was missing bits here, missing bits there. And then all of a sudden the killer said, I got bored with this and phoned up the, phoned up the detective on a mobile phone that was missing. And I thought that negated the entire program of detection because yes. the, the bad guy at the end said, yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has a day. Completely let down by all of the work that had gone on before. And I thought, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, you have all that kind of, Deus Ex Machina, like the, and it, like you say, it's. I guess it's okay for the villain to make a mistake, mm. but that shouldn't necessarily suddenly unravel the whole, the whole thing. Because if they'd made that mistake at the very beginning, the the book wouldn't have happened. As you say, you've no. kind of robbed both the character and the reader of all of the work that's been put in. Mm. Because I think there yeah. is that implicit. Thing that the reader is the investigator along with the investigator. Yeah. So you must so, be working it out along, working it out along with me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. Now I've, I've spoken to other authors about writing trilogies, and I fell into a trap writing a trilogy. So mm-hmm. I've kind of shied away from writing a writing series. So mm-hmm. 
um, my book that came out last July, Behind the Seams, my plan is to have characters coming back, but in spin-offs. So sometimes they'll mm. be younger, sometimes they'll be, okay. I don't know, 20, 30 years older. So my idea is to follow, take different routes, take different mm. characters, put them in romances, and then the others are kind of on the periphery because I didn't want to write something that, 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 well, they can't really follow the same characters. I did, definitely didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but temporarily, I want to be able to move backwards and forwards. If you're writing a series, I guess you've got characters who have an overarching arc, or you've mm-hmm. got other characters that are kind of more or less the same. So yes. you could argue that James Bond is pretty much the same in every film. Indiana Jones is kind of pretty mm-hmm. much the same. There's not that character arc. So for you, in terms of uh, Jimmy Green, What's the? I nearly said Jimmy Greaves because he's just recently <laughs> passed away. Yeah, is yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but Jimmy Green, um, what's your kind of plan for him? Do you feel like each each book in the series you could potentially pick up and it could be standalone? Yes. Uh, the the idea is that each investigation is a new investigation with some right. links to other investigations, uh, right. which you could go and which are not necessary for you to know about. For this book, but you could go okay. and get the previous book if right. you want to. Yeah. Okay. So the so plan already, is you already can... mentioned the previous book in the next book. So, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So your plan is if somebody was going to pick up, say, book three, yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd still get it. They wouldn't need it's to go. It's a standalone back and read novel. Yeah. No, it'd still be a okay, standalone good. novel. Good. Yeah. Because I think it, there's a very real risk of. of oh, yeah writing yourself into a corner and it, I find it quite interesting when I see you know um, web pages and discussions and training courses for how mm. to write a series it just fills me with dread <laughs> <laughs> so so w- when do you think you'll start writing the next the next oh, I've already started it oh you're 6,000 yeah yeah 6,000 words in okay yeah. and how have you approached this one? So your first one you started with the end and who done it. How about how about this one? This one is absolutely fascinating because uh uh I know where it's taking place, but I don't know who the killer is yet. And I don't know why what their motivations are yet. Right. So okay. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So you're kind of doing discovery writing. Yes. Once you find out who it is, mm-hmm. What, how do you think that is going to kind of change your approach to writing? Do you think you're still going to have to go back to the end of what you've drafted and still work backwards? Yeah, well, I think there will be some amendments along the way because yeah. uh, a lot of advice to authors is if you're stuck on a bit, ignore it, just move past it and come back to it. Uh, I haven't stuck on anything yet, and there's nothing that I've written so far that needs changing. All, all I know is that there is a bad person doing some bad things somewhere, right. and... Jimmy Green and his team are going to investigate it. Okay. Uh, the evidence train hasn't even started yet, except for a suspicion. So um, I'm almost there with knowing who and why. Okay. I already know the how. <laughs> <laughs> but as I've written, I've introduced a couple of characters and all of a sudden it, it lit up points of reference for me. It's almost like as soon as this character is established, little lights come on. In places, right. yeah, 
Was it? Oh yeah. Oh that. Oh that. Oh yeah. I didn't know that was there. Oh, I do now. Yeah. Exactly. And it is interesting how characters and plots kind of grow as you're writing through them. And, and mm. I don't really like the term pantsing anymore. I like the the, the term discovery writing. Mm. Um, but I think if you if you are a discovery writer, I think you're kind of setting yourself up for a lot of rewrites. Yeah. How much planning do you tend to do in any of your writing? Um, I, I start off with an idea and I start off with, uh, uh, I like names. So when I have mm-hmm. a bad guy or a good guy or a newspaper reporter, I like to give them names, then I can picture yeah. them and I can picture that person. Right. Do you ever do a, a dramatic person A list to uh, remind yourself of who's there? I I I do. So the, the reason being, and I, I wrote a blog post about this, about having yeah. a series Bible, <clears throat> because, and it's something I picked up from from broadcast media, is mm-hmm. I would regularly see treatments for, you know, cartoons coming through, and there would mm-hmm. be, you know, a thick, a relatively thick binder with, you know, who everybody is and, what, yeah. you know, and how, in particular, especially if there's character arcs, about how mm-hmm. they stretch across stretch across episodes mm. so i had originally planned behind the scenes to be a, just a standalone mm-hmm. because i've been burned by the whole trilogy point of view that <laughs> yeah. you know no, terrible experience <clears throat> and sorry to those who are waiting for the third book it's been you know, i know it's been nine years <laughs> <laughs> i will i will get there i feel like george yeah. R. R. martin but anyway so um when i decided that i would do this kind of standalone mm-hmm. i'm calling them chronicles okay because mm-hmm. i don't think of them as a series um and i might be using the word chronicles wrong i don't know but um yes i had to then draw up a list mm-hmm. and i felt really bad because i'd worked with an author who had i don't know 30 something characters in her first mm-hmm. book and i was like no 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 there's too many and i counted mine i've got the same amount if not a few more <laughs> Um, but yeah, I find myself now that I'm having to write down birthdays because now it's important. Mm-hmm. So if something happens 20 years, if the next book happens 20 years prior, I mm-hmm. need to know how old everybody is. Yeah. Um, so how are you? How are you handling that? I'm not handling. Uh, not- doing it. I'm, I'm. I'm leaving things a little bit vague. Jimmy okay. Green is sort of like 50-ish. Yeah. I couldn't tell you he's what his birth date was and I, and I don't think it's important he's kind of around that age characters are sort, sort of i imply the character's age by their definitions of them and then i right. don't refer back to it again because i'm not planning the kind of arc that you are um, right. so it's so as it's all more or less in the now mm then they're all kind of the age they are now. I know that sounds a bit bland, but uh, um, they're all the, the, most of the detectives are sort of like mid to late 20-somethings, right, right about that kind of age, early yeah. 20s, late 20s, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Loomis is 29. That's the only one I say is 29. So when I write the next novel, it'll be 30. So but, right. but I, I'm okay. not establishing dates like that. I did think to myself, I must write a dramatic person, and I had this wonderful lovely ordered list of things and people and events and after about a month it turned into that heap of bloody rubbish that you see before 
<laughs> do, do you know what? I, I tell you what I did find it useful for mm. is not having too many characters whose names started with the same letter. Yeah. So I, I, and actually when I was thinking about introducing a new character, I would, I had my alphabetized list of characters. I was like, oh, right. okay, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I like a lot of names beginning with L I've noticed and names beginning with S and R. Mm. Okay. So now I look through the whole list. Now I kind of rank, okay, how many of the characters <laughs> have I got? Because if I've got 32, 64 or 64 characters, they mm. can't, it's going to get too confusing. Yeah. So yeah, I use them for all different, different reasons. And mm. also <clears throat> the only, I will defend putting birthdays in because I I use something called um, Aeon Timeline. Okay, yeah. So, um, and you can put dates in relative and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I, what I did notice was one of my character's birthdays fell during the novel. Yeah. And I thought, actually, if, if there is a birthday scene, Mm. that would give more weight to this event that I was planning. So I've been yeah. able to move things around a little bit. Um, and also I've noticed where I was had a TV series um, being filmed, mm-hmm. I just had to make sure that the right things were happening on the right days of the week and all that yeah. kind of stuff and when, when it was going to go to air and that kind of thing. So I do think sometimes putting in birthdays can sometimes give you that little push to go, oh, okay, if that's not a, a – a birthday or an anniversary or something mm-hmm. like that. How can I, is there an opportunity for me to hang a plot point or a plot device off, off that? Um, so yeah, that's my argument for having a few things like that. Uh, so Andy, so final thoughts, what, what advice would you give to a writer who's thinking about switching genres? Um, my advice to that would be forget genre. If you have a story in your head, mm-hmm. start putting it down on a piece of paper, however you do it, to tip your head out on paper or your keyboard or whatever. Yeah. To a certain extent, from my personal experience, genre hasn't mattered at all. Okay. Uh, I was did, wanted to write a story in, in, in one genre back then, and mm-hmm. now I decided to do something different, and I just did it. Um, if you think you want to write a romance novel, write one. Yeah. If it doesn't work, well, you tried, you know, but uh, yeah. if you can create and invent a story and you've got a big imagination, you should be able to create something nice as well as something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what well, hopefully I agree. people can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, but my, yeah, my advice would be forget genre. Mm. Yeah. Forget genre. Yeah, just yeah. get the story. Just get the story down there. And if it works, yeah. it works. And if it doesn't, change it. And if it still doesn't, well, maybe genre switching isn't for everyone. Mm. But uh, just, just yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's great advice because you know I, I would never discourage a writer from you know writing whatever they wanted to write. And mm. at the end is when you can think about you know do I need a pen name? How am I going to change my my pitching or my brand strategy or any of mm. those things? So yeah, I would I'm I'm with you on that. If you yeah. if you want to write and you've got that burning burning reason to do it, and you know mm. you're the right writer to do that. I would absolutely agree with you. That's that's the way to go. Yeah. Andy, thank you for your time. 
Oh, uh, thank I've you loved for talking me. to you. Yeah. It's always great to, to catch up with a familiar face. So, Jimmy Green investigates. Um, although your the seed for this was was for the German market, it is available um, in English for the time being in in all markets. Yeah, um, and if you're German, uh, you could get one of many possible translations uh, available <laughs> one <laughs> available day, one day. to you soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Andy. Take care. My pleasure. Good to see you. And you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.